Amen. Good morning, City Light. Man, my name is Doug, like Eric said, and I love what God is doing in our church. I am so pumped for tonight. It's our city group kickoff, and I'm so excited for many of you, new folks, to find a family to belong to. For my city group, just in the last couple of weeks, we've got to go visit a brand new baby in the hospital NICU. Uh, We got to help a family renovate their kitchen. Uh, This is a really smart family because I showed up. I'm like, hey, what do you need me to do? They're like, could you paint this spot right here? It was about three square feet of wall behind the dishwasher, okay? They knew what they were doing, okay? But I helped a little bit. And then this last week, we had a Labor Day party complete with smoked brisket barbecue. I'm pretty confident Jesus made it himself and he brought it there. It was incredible. Man, for my wife and uh, myself, our kids, our city group is like our family to us. And I'm so excited for a lot of you guys to find a family to belong to like that. I'm also excited because this morning, like Eric said, we get to launch into a brand new series of messages that's gonna take us through the fall. We're going to be looking at the life of King David. More has been written in the Bible about David than any other biblical character except for Jesus himself. There's 66 chapters in the uh, Old Testament devoted to David. 59 times he's referred to in the New Testament. He wrote 74 Psalms and twice he is called a man after God's own heart. I mean, David is kind of a big deal in the Bible. And if you're new to the Bible and you don't really know who David is, that's totally fine. You're going to get to know him in the next few weeks. The story of David is kind of like a mashup of 24 and This Is Us and Days of Our Lives and Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2 and With a Vengeance and whatever other movies Bruce Willis managed to survive, all of those rolled into one. If you take all those stories, pile them up together, you get this incredibly dramatic, action-packed story where teenagers are cutting the heads off of giants and kings are going crazy, and that's the story of David, and that's where we're going to be this fall. This morning, we will start at the beginning, the beginning of David's story, and David kind of has a rags-to-riches story. Don't you just love a good rags-to-riches story? Oh, man, I think of like Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, LeBron James, Eric Wiggum, all rags-to-riches, man, (laughs) all rags-to-riches, bro, you're just rolling in it, I know. Anyways, no, but uh, our family loves Rags to Riches story, and right now our family's kind of into, we're kind of addicted would be a better word to call it, this uh, American Ninja Warrior show, okay? And that show has really realized the secret power of Rags to Riches stories. About half of every episode are actually these short little videos about each of the contestants and the obstacles they overcame to get on the show. For our family, one of our favorites is this ninja called Drew Dressel. He's called the Everyday Ninja. And just a few years ago, Drew Dressel was a used car salesman, just chilling on the lot, wondering if anybody's ever going to come buy a car, and wondering what he's going to do with his life. Then he hears about American Ninja Warrior, he gives it his all, and now all of a sudden, the used car salesman is on top of the warped wall, and he's living the celebrity life, and he's rolling in the dough. It's rags to riches. 
Well, when we meet David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he isn't a used car salesman, but he also isn't a king. David is actually at the bottom of the totem pole, the low end of the totem pole in his location, his vocation, and his family. And I think our hearts connect with a story like David's. Because all of us, man, we feel like we started with rags, or maybe we're still there, and we all dream of riches. And maybe it's not like we just want to get rich quick, though I'm sure we wouldn't be opposed to that, right? But I think it's more that we just want our lives to matter. We want our stories to be something worth reading, something worth watching. We want to be able to look back and say, my life made a difference, So let's jump into the story of David, and I want to draw our attention to two aspects of the beginning of David's story, okay? The first aspect is this. It's actually in your notes if you want to fill in a blank. The first one is this, David's humble beginnings. David's humble beginnings. Like us, David started small and insignificant. We'll pick it up in verse 1, and it reads like this. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, maybe I should pause here, give a little bit of context, because David hasn't even been mentioned yet, right? So in the Old Testament, God's people are called Israel. And Israel bothered and badgered God for a long time to give them a human king. God himself wasn't good enough. They wanted an actual human king. They looked around. They wanted to be like the tribes and nations around them and have a human king. So God eventually gives them what they want. And their first ever king is this guy named Saul, who's mentioned in verse 1. Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. Literally, okay? He was like the golden child among the children of God. And at first, Saul is actually a pretty decent king. He listens to God. He obeys the Bible. He serves his people. But then after a little while, the power all goes to Saul's head. And he starts thinking, you know what? I'd be a better God than God. He goes rogue, does his own thing. And after a little while, God, the real God, is like, I'm not down with that. That's not cool. And so God decides this whole kingship thing for my people, it's no longer going to go through Saul. I need to find a different king. And the whole of Israel, God's people, they know things aren't going well for Saul. That Saul is treading on dangerous ground, and they know that because this guy named Samuel, who this book is named after, Samuel has distanced himself from Saul. Now, Samuel is like the famous prophet of his day. He heard from the Lord, and when he spoke, everybody listened. He'd be kind of like Billy Graham, who was an advisor to kings, heard from the Lord, preached to huge crowds, and now Samuel, this prophet of God, has distanced himself from Saul. So everyone in Israel is going, oh, things are going bad fast. This is not looking good for Saul. Then God shows up to Samuel, and he says, hey, Samuel, man, Why are you pouting? Why are you still grieving Saul? I'm done with him. You're done with him. Let's move on. Let's go. Let's start over with a new king. And Samuel responds in verse 2, and he says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And Samuel's right. Now, by this stage, Saul, the king, had gotten a little loopy, and he did not mind busting a cap on some people that he didn't like. It was like, okay, boom, you're dead. 
That's literally how it operated. Welcome to the story of David. So God's going, okay, I got you, Samuel. I understand. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to be a secret coronation. Don't call a press conference. Don't tell people about it. We'll keep it small and private. What I want you to do is go to Bethlehem, find Jesse and his sons, and invite them to go to church with you, okay? Go offer and sacrifice, Old Testament times. Invite them to go to church with you, and along the way, I'll show you who the next king is going to be. So Samuel does that, and we pick the story up in verse 6. It says, when they came, these are the sons of Jesse. He looked on Eliab. That would be the oldest. And Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Here we get a little glimpse of the heart of God. God isn't looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. God isn't looking for a GQ or a Vogue model. God doesn't care about Fortune 500 resumes or bank account balances. God cares about the heart. So he rejects this Eliab, the oldest. So he's not the king. They go to the next oldest son. He's not the king. Next oldest son. He's not the king. And on and on that goes for seven sons, which tells me two things. Jesse had a lot of kids, man. That dude knew how to make some babies. And two, he had another kid out there somewhere. So Samuel picks that up and he says, are all your sons here? And Jesse responds, he's like, "Mm, well, I mean, there is another one, but he's the youngest and we don't really keep track of him. He just keeps track of sheep. Do you want me to call him too? And Samuel responds to Jesse and he says, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. So they go and they get this youngest son. He comes in and when he walks in, this is David now who we're talking about. When he walks in, the Lord says to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is he. So that's the story. That's how God found David. It's how it all starts. And in this story, there's a few things that stand out to me. First is this, David lived in the small town. Right, He lived in Bethlehem, which was like podunk Israel, man. It wasn't the big city. It was the little town that wished it was the big city. Bethlehem was about six miles outside of Jerusalem. People lived there, but none of them were proud that they lived there. You know what I mean? Like nobody was walking around with I heart Bethlehem shirts on, okay? Humble beginnings. The other thing is, David wasn't just in a small town, but he had a small job. Being a shepherd was for the lowlifes. Like if you couldn't hack it in school, you dropped out and got a job as a shepherd. Flipping burgers was a step up from being a shepherd. A used car salesman, that's like a luxury career position compared to shepherding. So David's in a small town and he has a small job. Furthermore, and maybe worst of all, David wasn't even included among his family. He wasn't invited or acknowledged as part of the sons of Jesse. God told, or Samuel told Jesse, hey, bring out all your sons. And Jesse brought out all of his sons except for David. David was a nobody to his own father and his own sons. Just a nobody with no good purpose in life and never going to really matter except for counting some sheep. So David's from a small town with a small job, and his family didn't really care about him. Humble beginnings. 
The way the story is written is basically saying that nobody ever saw this guy. Nobody ever noticed him. Who in the world would ever care about him? But then God shows up and God says, I care. I see him, I know him, and I have plans for his life that are greater than he could ever imagine. And this is the amazing thing about the God we worship, City Light. He doesn't care how many letters are after your name or how many zeros are in your paycheck. He doesn't care what town you were born in or you live in. He doesn't care how high your GPA is or how low your IQ is. What God cares about is your heart. What God sees is your heart. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Everybody else's life is onward and upward, but your life just seems stuck in second gear, right? Maybe you didn't get the job that you really thought you deserved, or the relationship fell apart right before marriage, and your friends don't really check in, your family doesn't really care, your resources have dried up, and you can't help but ask the question, Has God forgotten me? Some of you have had things spoken over your life. Some of you have heard things spoken to you, and you've heard them so much that you've begun to believe them. You've heard things like, you don't really matter. That your life will never amount to much that you can't really do any good with your life, that you aren't worth more than a hill of beans. But the story of David says that God has not forgotten you. You matter to God. City Light, I want us to get this. Your life right now matters to God. You matter to the God who created this world and now upholds it with the word of his power. You matter to the God who writes life stories and changes hearts and rules nations and directs the future. You matter to him. Would you lean in? Just listen a little bit. This isn't for the person next to you. This is for you. I want you to hear it. You matter to God. He has not forgotten you. And I'm not saying that because you matter to God and he hasn't forgotten you, that all of a sudden tomorrow he's going to get you out of your dead-end job or you should go buy a lotto ticket today because you're going to get rich tomorrow. No, what I'm saying is you matter to God. Your heart, your attitude, who you are matters to God. He's not looking at the circumstances or the outward appearances. He's looking at your heart and it matters to him. Moms, I love you, moms. You are incredible. With all of the diapers and lunch boxes and first days of school and arguments and teenagers starting to drive and pimples on their faces, moms, your job is never changing. It is always on the clock and it is always behind the scenes. But the story of David tells us that God sees you and you matter to God. Your heart for your children to know God, your desire for them to follow Jesus is precious to God. It matters to him. Everyone working a job, oh man, whether it is flipping burgers or pouring cement or writing code or rolling burritos or launching your own business, your heart, where you're working matters to God. Who you are and how you work, that matters to God. And anyone living in a small town or from a small town, right? 
like your own Bethlehem that nobody ever expects anything good to come from, God sees you. You matter to him. He hasn't passed you by on his way to the big city to go find someone else. You matter to God. And the same is true for us as a church. City Light, man, we have some humble, small beginnings. We started out as just 30 people in a backyard trying to eat some burritos and keep our kids corralled. Then we went on and we had some small prayer meetings in some really old, busted up church buildings, okay? There wasn't much to see, but God saw us. And I think what God saw in us was a heart, a passion to make much of Jesus Christ in Council Bluffs, to run hard after Jesus with all that we've got. Man, we're a church with humble beginnings, but we worship a God of glorious futures, amen? Amen. And if you're new to City Light, let me just tell you a little bit about us, okay? A little bit of who we are. We aren't trying to get big. We're not trying to be cool. We might have some zits and some warts and some scars on our face, but what we do have is heart. We have a passion to pursue Jesus with all that we have to make much of him and to multiply his name and his fame throughout Council Bluffs. That's who we are, City Light. May we never forget our humble, jacked up roots and that we get to follow a glorious Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Amen, church? That's who we are. That's what God has done. David had humble beginnings. He lived in the armpit of the nation, and his job got him no money, and his family didn't even care about him. But just because David had humble beginnings, he still mattered to God. God saw him. His heart was moved towards him, and he pursued David. Many of us, we have humble beginnings, but that doesn't mean that you don't matter to God. He sees you. He's moving towards you and coming after you. Will you let him find you? He will cross heaven and hell to get to you. He will send messengers and messages to get your attention. And when everyone else has forgotten you, he will say, I remember you. You are not forgotten, friend. You are not forgotten by God. So the first thing that I want to draw our attention to in the story of David is his humble beginnings. The second thing is David's anointed beginnings. Anointed beginnings. Now, anointed is, it's kind of a church word, right? Like, you don't really walk around using the word anointed in your daily life. At least, I wouldn't think you would. Um, so, anointed is kind of a church word. So, let me show it to you in the story and explain it a little bit. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Okay, now this is an incredible moment in the life of David. Up until this point, he had spent most of his life alone with a bunch of sheep. Now, in front of his whole family, the prophet of God shows up, calls him into their midst, and he anoints him. David or Samuel would have literally had like a, a horn, like a ram's horn, you know, something like that. Think of a cup, a big cup. It's full of oil, like olive oil. He would have poured that onto David's head into his hair, down through his hair and his beard, onto his clothes, essentially covering the man with the anointing oil. And then after that, the Spirit of God comes on David also. It's like the oil was symbolic of God himself. 
God comes on David, overcoming him, filling him up, and empowering him. God stays with him and never leaves him. This was God's secret coronation of the king. Later on, down the road, the rest of the world and all of Israel would honor and recognize David as king. But right here in the small town with just his family watching, God marked David as the next king of Israel. I think you can imagine why this would be such a big deal to David. I mean, put yourself in David's shoes. He's been hanging out with sheep, making sure they don't do dumb stuff. Now, all of a sudden, the most famous man in the land, Samuel the prophet, is showing up unannounced, no expectation he's going to be there, and saying, hey, guess what, David? I know you're just a teenager, but you're the next king of our nation. David probably needed some sort of assurance from God. He probably needed some sort of power, some sort of sign, some sort of marker that would propel him forward in this new life purpose. So before David ever took office, before he ever had any official leadership, before he ever had any responsibility, God anointed David and came upon him. He gave him his presence. He poured himself out on David saying, David, you will never be alone. David, you will always have my power. Now, what can we learn from this city light? Right? Like this ancient ritual of anointing. What does it mean for us today? I think this is what we can learn. God always empowers those he calls. God always empowers those he calls. Some of us have been called to leadership. And quite frankly, it scares us, right? You know he has called you into leadership, but you've got some questions for God. How is this gonna go? Will I mess up? Will I be a good leader? I get it, man. I was the kid who was shy and would never stand up in front of the public school class. Now I've been called to preach to hundreds of people at a time. I was a kid who was too scared to even talk to girls. Now I gotta walk around on a stage all the time. I get it. I've had some questions for God about this whole leadership thing. But over the years, I've discovered every single time God empowers those he calls. Some of you are stepping into leading a city group. God will empower you. Some of you are stepping into teaching city like kids and you're wondering, are they gonna listen to me or just write on the wall with permanent marker? Hear this, God will empower you. Dads, we're so excited. Some of you guys are stepping into leadership in your families and you're praying with your kids. God will empower you. Others of you are taking on new levels of leadership in your job, in our city, with your friends. And the story of David is here to say, God will empower you. One example from our church, Logan is one of the leaders in our Iowa Western College ministry. This past week, Logan posted on his Facebook, and I just had to share this with you guys. Here's what Logan said. He says, can I just give glory to God right now? Do you guys remember when I was so shy that I would practically never speak? God turned up my volume and gave me truth to declare. If that wasn't far enough into the uncomfortable zone yet, God also has me serving on a team of friends where we spend time together pouring our hearts and souls out so that we can grow and love on total strangers who attend a college on campus that needs Jesus Christ. God took me, a shy, selfish kid, and blessed me with courage and love for total strangers so that God would get the glory. That is right, Logan. Amen. God empowers those he calls. 
He did it for Logan. He did it for David, and he will do it for you too. Whatever he is calling you into, man, what is God inviting you into right now? Where is he stretching you and pulling you? You can know that God will give himself to you. He will empower you to whatever he is calling you into. The story of David is here in our Bibles so that we can know God never passes up humble beginnings and he always empowers those he calls. The story's also there for another reason, even a, a larger reason, and that's this, to show us Jesus Christ. The story of David isn't really about David. It's about Jesus. Like the moral of the story isn't be humble like David. Instead, the point of the story is to invite us. It's like a trailer, just to tease us and draw us forward into the life of Jesus. David's life gets its full meaning when it points us to Jesus. So City Light, think about this. Jesus is the ultimate king with humble beginnings. Like David, Jesus was born where? Bethlehem. Like David, Jesus was acknowledged king by God while there was still an earthly king on the throne. Like David, nobody paid much attention to Jesus except for some shepherds keeping watch or their flock by night. But unlike David, Jesus' story isn't rags to riches. Oh no, it was riches to rags. Jesus left the riches of heaven to step into the rags of humanity. He was born in a sheep stall to teenage parents and swung a hammer for 30 years. Jesus knows humble beginnings. And Jesus is the ultimate king with anointed beginnings. Like David, Jesus was anointed. Like David, the Spirit of God rushed on Jesus and remained on him throughout his life. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the temple and he says, Hey, I have the Spirit of God on me because I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor. And like David, Jesus was given a life purpose and God empowered Jesus to live out that life purpose. Jesus understands anointed beginnings. But unlike David... Jesus was a perfect king. We're going to find out very soon in our series of messages that David messed up. He messed up big, but Jesus, with his own humble and anointed beginnings, never messed up. He never let the power go to his head. He never sinned, never disobeyed, never turned away. Yet King Jesus offered up his own life. The shepherd dined for the sheep. The king killed for his subjects. King Jesus died to pay the price for our slip-ups and our sins, for David's murders and his mayhem. Him. For all of our faults and our failures, King Jesus died and his death looked like the tragic ending of a riches to rags story. But oh, City Light, we know the story doesn't end there, right? Jesus died, but then he rose again from that death. He defeated Satan's sin and death. He ascended all the way to sit on the throne of heaven to reign and rule even today and for all of eternity. Jesus' story is one of riches to rags, but then he went right back to those riches. Amen? And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get to give him our humble beginnings and get caught up in his glorious future. We get to give him our rags and enjoy the riches of Jesus Christ. And we will worship him as the king above all kings for all of eternity. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's pray and invite this king, Jesus, to be king in our lives. 
Let's invite this King Jesus to be exalted in our hearts. And so Jesus, right now we ask, would you be king in our hearts? Any part of our hearts that we're trying to withhold from you or keep hidden from you, would you expose it? And we want to give it to you, Jesus. We want your reign. We want your rule. You can keep praying with your head bowed and your eyes closed, but man, City Light, all week I felt it. There's some of you guys who just feel forgotten. Maybe if you don't feel forgotten, you just feel passed up. Like the guy next to you, he's going to get more attention from God than you. The gal next to you, she matters to God more than you do. I just want you to hear the word of God this morning. You matter. I see you. I want you to hear God say to you, I have not forgotten you. Oh God, would you speak it to your people? Would you let them hear your own voice? Not me in a microphone, but you speaking to them that you have not forgotten them. Others of you, I know, you're being called into leadership. Maybe it's in our church. Maybe it's at your school. Some of you teenagers are stepping into leading out in your school on your sports team. Maybe some of you are stepping into leadership in your job and you're going, I'm scared. I don't know how this is going to go. Would you ask God to empower you? Would you ask him to give you what you need right now? Would you ask him to give you the courage to keep on stepping, keep on working, keep on leading because he is God. He is king and not you. Oh, Father God, would you be speaking to your people? Let them hear your voice. And I pray, would you give us the faith to respond, to say yes to whatever you're calling us into? to say yes, to yeah, you see me and you care about me. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.